Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, April 30th, 2023 from two places, Mark chapter 16 and Luke chapter 24. Um, Another shout out, as Rob said, we're having church at Elm Grove Park next week which I'm really, really excited about. And one of the reasons I'm excited is I can't wait to see all of y'all's dogs at church. That was one of the funnest part of having church in the park for, for over a year was that the dogs got to come to worship. So that'll be fun. Last shout out, and this is a big deal, so I need you to get behind it. Shout out to all the kids that went to prom and made it to church today. Wow. This is the day you get a full pass if you fall asleep during the sermon. It's no problem whatsoever. I totally get it. Okay. Um, Hey, question. I I look around the room and I see a lot of you. I know most of you well enough to know that there are people in this room that you probably never got in trouble in your whole life. Like you're such a rule follower, Nino. Okay. And... And you never, you just never stepped a toe out of line. You just like made sure you were always, you're always that good kid. Uh, but for others of us, are there, are there folks in here that got like sent to the principal's office, got kicked out of class and stuff? It's pretty quiet. I saw some hands. Thank you. Okay. Um, here's the thing. I, I was one of those kids, especially, especially, especially in middle school, um, who got in trouble a lot. Um, I apparently acted out whenever I was bored. And so... Um, that, you know, that's really on y'all, middle school teachers. I don't really know what to tell you, but I got kicked out of Miss Powers' class a lot in, um, in the eighth grade. I got kicked out of Miss Raman's Spanish class a lot, a lot. But the teacher that kicked me out of class the most was seventh grade natural science, uh, Miss Tyndall. Miss Tyndall kicked me out a lot. And the policy at Robertsville in those days, I don't know what it is now. I haven't been there since the 90s. But the policy in the 90s was when you got kicked out of class, you didn't necessarily go to the principal's office. They just sent you into the hallway. Just go, just get out of here. Just go, just go sit somewhere else. Where I don't, that's, I felt like that was what Miss Tyndall was feeling about me is I don't need to see your face. Go out there. I don't even care what happens. Just go away. I will say, uh, since I saw him earlier today, I never, I don't think I ever once got in trouble in Coach Scott's class. Me, he, we had a thing, you know, we had, we were on a wavelength. He understood me or kept me together, whatever, but we were good to go. So um, the reason I ask that is, you know, we, you know, we believe in the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross and how he has forgiven us for our sins and he rose from the dead for our justification and we are looking forward to the hope of heaven. We sing about it. We're excited about it. But, an answer out loud, is anybody like a little bit under the surface worried about seeing Jesus for the first time? Does anybody ever like, have you ever thought like, I just don't know how that meeting's going to go? Like I believe... I believe all the stuff, but like, there's a part of me that's wondering, but like, what's that going to be like? Like, do I need to be nervous? Am I going to have to give a full accounting for all the stuff I've ever done? Like, what, like, are we going to have to have this really awkward conversation? I just don't know how that first meeting is going to go. So for anybody that's ever felt like that, like, am I going to be in trouble? I hate the feeling of being in trouble more than anything else in the world. You wouldn't know that if you watched me in Miss Tyndall's class, but I really, really do. And there's a part of my brain and heart somewhere that is a little bit nervous about that first meeting. Okay, we're going to get into it. If you've ever worried about that. First, before we do, 
Over the next few weeks, we are going to be zooming in on some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and looking at those and wondering, why did he show up that way? And why did, he, why did he hang out with those people? And why did he do it in this way? And the reason is, I was just thinking about it and thinking, if it had been me, if I had just been risen from the dead, I would have shown up at Pilate's house and dunked on him, number one. And I would have gone to Herod's and I would have said, get up out of that throne. The king of kings is back. That's my chair now. And I would have gone to the high priest's place and I would have said, hand over your keys and the robes. The real high priest is in the house. Like, I would have done this big, showy, glitzy dunking on these people. And I think a lot of us would love for Jesus to show up in big, obvious ways in our lives. But when you look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, they were really quiet. They were really quaint. They were almost bizarrely normal. He's going on a walk with some friends. He's cooking breakfast. He's having a fireside chat. I think that the way that Jesus showed up in those few days and few weeks then is the way that he often shows up to us now. So Jesus risen from the dead. This is the new normal. Okay. Last week we talked about the first person who got to see Jesus risen from the dead, Mary Magdalene. Today we're going to talk about the second, as far as we know, the second person who got to see and talk to Jesus risen from the dead. Here's the only thing about this conversation and this appearance. It's not in the Bible. And I know you're like, oh, well, how are we going to talk about it? Don't worry, there's going to be plenty of Bible. It's just that that conversation itself, we don't actually have any record of it. We have a record that it happened, okay? And I'm going to show you that right now. By the way, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, who saw Jesus next. And some of you might be thinking, wait a minute. I, I know about Jesus hanging out and talking to Peter after Jesus rose from the dead. That's that, uh, that you know, Jesus had, uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times the night that he was betrayed. And so, you know, Peter and some of the other guys, they, you know, they're sad and they're struggling. And so they go back home to Galilee and they go back to their old life of fishing and they don't catch anything all night. And Jesus shows up. They didn't know it was Jesus. I know this story. It's in John chapter 21. And Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do. And they have miraculous catch of fish. The sequel, part two, the fast and the fishier or something like they, they do all that. They get back to shore and Jesus is already there, and then Peter and Jesus have this little private conversation. And we know what happened. Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And, and people have always said, you know, it's because he denied Jesus three times. So, you know, so he's got to, you, you got to say that you love him three times for all the times that you betrayed and denied him. In fact, in our Bibles, this is very unhelpfully called, Jesus reinstates Peter. And you're like, so what do you mean we don't have the first conversation. Okay, a couple of things about that whole John 21 thing. You're right, that is in the Bible. That did happen, the do you love me, do you love me, do you love me thing. That did happen, but that was not the first time Jesus saw Peter after he was risen from the dead. That was at least the fourth time that Peter saw Jesus. It was not the day of the resurrection. It was at least a couple weeks later. They were not, you know, moping and going back to Galilee, doing the wrong thing. Jesus told his guys to go back to Galilee. They were following instructions. And it wasn't like they did the wrong thing by fishing, going back to their old life or something like that because they were so sad. No, I mean, a dude's got to eat. You know, so there's nothing wrong with fishing. In fact, Jesus had already been fishing that morning. We find out that when they got to shore, Jesus had already caught, cleaned, and seasoned, and was making breakfast with the fish that he caught on his own. So there was nothing wrong with all of that. And if you're looking at it, you're like, well, then what was the point of that story if it wasn't, 
you know, like this whole, like, he's got a, this is the first time they're seeing each other. And so they got to repair their relationship or whatever. Well, I don't really know. I can't always give you the reasons for what Jesus did or what he said, but I will tell you this. Peter was about to walk into a very difficult life. He was about to go into situations he had never imagined, into difficulties he never planned on. He was about to experience pain and struggle and confusion like he had never faced in his entire life. And he was going to need reasons to hang on, and he was going to need energy to hang on. And I'll tell you right now, after doing ministry for over 20 years vocationally and serving and volunteering and all kinds of stuff, the best reason and the best energy for serving Jesus when it's hard is love for Jesus. That's the best. That's the best reason. That's the best energy. That's the best motive. It's the best motor. And so Jesus knows you're about to walk into a hard life. You need to know that you love me. That's what you need. I, I think that may be why that conversation happened. I don't know. But as I said, I think it's really unhelpful that whoever translated this for us has put in John 21, Jesus reinstates Peter. Reinstates him for what? He wasn't being reinstated. He was never uninstated. He was never disqualified. The night that Jesus was arrested, Jesus predicted Peter's denial. Y'all remember that? He said it a couple different ways. At one point he said, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And after you have turned, I want you to strengthen your brothers. In other words, you're about to have a bad night, buddy. But as soon as all that's over, I've got a job for you. You're still on the team, and your next assignment is already in your inbox. He doesn't need to be reinstated. He's still very much on the team, okay? So translators, very unhelpful. That's unhelpful because I think that kind of stuff, this idea that, you know, whenever you see Jesus, you're going to have to tell him you love him for all the times you betrayed him. And, y'all, if that's the truth, whew, me and him are going to have to have a long conversation, <laughs> And I don't know if I can remember it all. I've hopefully blocked a lot of it out by this point. I don't want to be in that kind of trouble. Okay, I don't know about y'all. Um, I think that that kind of thinking gives us what I'm calling a yeah, but theology. A yeah, but theology. And what does that mean? It means like, yeah, yeah, I'm forgiven my, for my sins. But like when I see Jesus, am I going to be sorry enough for them? Am I going to be pitiful enough and repentant enough. Yeah, I believe that I'm covered by grace, but I am nervous about that first meeting. Yeah, I believe that I'm forgiven and free and covered and all that, but am I in trouble? I think that a lot of us walk through quite a bit of our life with a yeah, but theology. Let me ask y'all, have you ever felt like that? Am I alone in that? Okay, help me out because I don't, if I'm the only one, then y'all get, y'all just have a great lunch and we'll just, y'all are doing great. Um, I have experienced this, this yeah, but theology. Yes, I believe that, but I have this sneaking suspicion that that meeting is going to be tough and I'm going to have a hard time there. Okay, so what we're going to do is I want to show you that this meeting happened. First of all, this is from Mark chapter 16. This is um, the angels talking to the women who came to the tomb. This is in verse six. He says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. So Jesus is risen from the dead. Tell his guys. Oh, and make sure, which Peter is one of the guys, make sure you tell Peter. He wants to see his guys. He really wants to see Peter. Okay, now I want to show you another place. This is in Luke chapter 24. 
So in Luke chapter 24, Jesus had appeared on this road in between Jerusalem and Emmaus to a couple of people who were followers of Jesus. And they had this whole conversation with him. They didn't know it was Jesus. They invited him into this house where they were having dinner. They asked him to break the bread. He breaks the bread in a certain way. And they're like, oh, it's Jesus. And as soon as they realized it was Jesus, he just disappeared. He was gone. And they were like, whoa, it's Jesus. He's back. And so as soon as that happened, check this out. Okay. Um, their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. That was day one. That's day one. Jesus risen from the dead on the third day and he has appeared to Simon. Here's my question. What did y'all talk about? Like, give us the story. Tell us what, what you said. Tell us what happened. Tell us how that went. I mean, Mark's gospel is pretty much the gospel that is kind of told from the perspective of Peter. Mark, why didn't you ask Peter? Dude, what was that conversation? Let me put that in the book. What happened? I don't know why we don't have this conversation. I've got a couple of theories, but I don't know in the end why we don't have this conversation. Here's my theory number one. I think... That if we had this full conversation just transcribed in the Gospels of Jesus' first meeting with Peter, I don't think any of us would believe it. I think it would be the thing that pushed us beyond the pale of being able to believe the Scriptures. Like, that right there was too good to be true. That's too much. It's just too much. I don't even think that we would believe it. Why would I say that? Okay, like I said, I don't know what was said in this conversation. But can I tell you some things that I do know about what that conversation was like? Um, let me just tell you a couple of things that I know based on some things that Jesus said, based on some scriptures, okay? Y'all hang with me, and let's see if we can put together kind of the temperature of this conversation. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life, will not be judged, but has already crossed over from death into life. Okay, so whatever was said in this conversation... Whatever words were used, whatever happened, here's something I can tell you about that conversation for sure. And by the way, if you're not a person who amens in church a lot, you need to go ahead and buckle up. You're going to have some reasons to. And I'm telling you, they're coming down the pike right now. Don't be afraid, okay? I don't know what was said in that conversation, but can I tell you something about that conversation? It was not judgy at all. Isn't that great news? Whatever Jesus said, whatever happened, it was not judgy because there is no judgment for you who have called on the name of Jesus. Amen? Okay, let me tell you something else about that conversation. I don't know what was said, but I know this. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore there is now no what? condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he was not condemned in any way. If he was hanging his head, the first thing Jesus did was pick that little face up. Turn that frown upside down, baby. You are fine. You are not condemned. You are not in trouble. 
There was no judgment. There was no condemnation. You know what else Paul said in Colossians chapter 2? Let me tell you something else about what that conversation was like. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, He has forgiven us for all of our sins, having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness that stood against us and opposed to us and condemned us. Having taken it away, he nailed it to the cross. He canceled the charge. I was in the courtroom this past week as we, uh, as our new chancellor of Anderson County was sworn in. Let's give it up for our new chancellor, Jamie Brooks. Okay, and our new chancellor, it was so sweet. It was such a sweet moment to, uh, to be standing in a court of justice and to look at a man who's like, that is a good and kind and ethical man, and he is an awesome judge. I'm so, like, like for the first time in whoever knows, I'm like excited about the judicial system. This is great. <laughs> And so, you know, it's like, but to stand in a court, it's like, let's say, you know, the first place you go when you, you close your eyes on this life and you open them into the court of heaven. And guess what? Whatever charges there were against you, the charges have been dropped. So here's what we know about that conversation. There was no judgment. There was no condemnation. The charges have been dropped. Wow. Let me tell you what else I know about this conversation. We don't know what was said, but we know a lot about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul goes on this beautiful thing where he says, love is patient and is kind. It does not envy or boast. You know what he says in verse 5? Love keeps no record of wrong suffered. Amen. So, I mean, I imagine Peter seeing Jesus and it's like, I ran to see you. You weren't in the tomb. There you are. Oh, my goodness. I'm shaking. I'm nervous. I don't know how to do this. Um, I'm so sorry. And he's like, for what? Well, for everything I did. What do you mean? What do you mean what you did? Well, I mean, I've got this whole long laundry list, this bad record uh, against my name, you know, and, and really just the cherry on top. I mean, the chef's kiss was Thursday night, if you know what I'm so talking about. And Jesus is like, no, actually, there's no record of anything that you've ever done. Because there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. The charges have been dropped. The record has been expunged. And it gets even better. You know what else? I know about this conversation. Hebrews chapter 8, whoever wrote Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8, quotes Jeremiah chapter 31 and says, their wickedness I will forgive and their, and their sin I will remember no more. Now don't ask me how the almighty, all-knowing God can choose to forget something and really does it, drops all of our wrongs into a sea of forgetfulness. All I know is Jesus, the most brilliant mind, the creator God, the most brilliant mind in the history of the universe, his memory ain't what it used to be, folks. <laughs> There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. Can you imagine Peter saying, but I denied you. You did? Yeah, I did it three times. Are you sure? Yes, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. Can you imagine the voice of Jesus saying to you, I don't remember that. There's no judgment. There's no church. Can you imagine the voice of Jesus saying, I don't remember? Amen, right? There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. The charges have been dropped. The record has been expunged. The memory has been wiped. Okay, now the next one I want to show you, I want us all to look at together. Okay, so if you have a Bible... Get it open. If you have a, a, a cell phone, look at, you know, Google it or whatever. But if you don't have either of those, then lean over across the chairs to somebody who does. I want us to all look at this. First Corinthians chapter four. We're back to the Apostle Paul again. First Corinthians chapter four. I got to show you this because it's just that good. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, starting in verse 3. Here we go. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I love that. I'm trying to get there. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. That doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Pause. And at that point, I'm thinking, uh-oh, just send me on to hell. I don't want to have that conversation. If, if you're saying there's a moment coming where Jesus is going to expose the motives of men's hearts and, and empty out all the secrets for everybody to see, I don't want to, I don't want to be there. But look at it. He says, wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light. Look at it. Let's look at it together. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his what? Praise from God. You see, here's the deal. Um, If all of your sin has been forgiven, if all of the charges have been dropped, if all of the memory of all of your wrong, even your secret stuff, has been completely forgotten by the almighty, all-knowing God, you know what that means? The only, this is so good, the only secrets you have left are the secret moments when the Holy Spirit said, don't say that back. And you said, yes, Lord. Or the secret moments where you said, I'm going to pray for that guy over there that's struggling in that restaurant. Or the secret moments when you, when you slipped somebody some money that needed it. Or when you did something following Jesus that nobody even knew about, but you and the Lord. Those secrets. There's going to be an award ceremony for all of the moments where you just knocked it out of the park. This is unbelievable. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. The charges have been dropped. The record's been expunged. The memory's been wiped. All that's left is all your secret praise. Are you kidding me? If we had this whole conversation, we wouldn't even believe this religion. It's too much. It's too good. We had to scatter all these all over the New Testament for us to believe them. It's the only way that we would buy it. Last thing. I'm still convinced That even all of that being true, when I see him face to face, I feel like, yes, all of that could be true. And yet our relationship, Lord, and yet the way that I've talked and the way that I've acted and the way that I haven't followed, I feel like there's, there's, I've I've just got to say some things to you. I've just got to make some stuff right. And I might have to cry some tears and I might struggle my way through it. But one time Jesus told a story about somebody who ran away. And decided to come home after he came back to his senses and he prepared a little speech just like that. I got to say some stuff. I got to get some stuff off my chest. And that little speech was interrupted. It was interrupted with kisses. It was interrupted with hugs. It was interrupted with, don't say what you're about to say. Do not disown yourself out of this family. You're my little boy. So, no judgment, no condemnation. The charges have been dropped. The record has been expunged. The memory has been wiped. All that's left is the secret, beautiful moments of your heart in following Jesus throughout your life. And if in the middle of all that you insist on making a little speech, I bet he's going to cut you off. So when Mark said to Peter, "Um, hey, can you tell me that story? I'd love to include that. I'm guessing Peter said, No, that one's just for me. That's not anybody else's business. I mean, one, I can't even, I couldn't even get through telling it if I tried to, but I got to tell you, buddy, that one's just for me. 
In the end, I think that story is not included in the New Testament because it's none of my business. And it's none of your business. Sorry. Here's what's really cool about that. He wants to have one with you. He wants to have one with you this week. He wants to hang out with you. He is risen. He's not here. Go and tell his followers. And go and tell. And then let your name slip into the end of that sentence. He wants to find you. And can I tell you something? You're going to love it. Have any of you ever gotten yourself to one of those places where you really, really get quiet in your heart and in your mind? You're all alone. Nobody's with you. And you're not you know, listening to music or anything like that. You get your heart and mind quiet. And that, in that moment, have you ever just asked him, do you love me? You should try it. I think a lot of us get bogged down with that yeah, but theology, and it makes us run away from him, and it makes us ignore him, and it makes us ignore each other. It makes us push people out of our lives because, yeah, I believe I'm saved, but there's this. Here's the deal. Jesus is risen from the dead. You're not in trouble. You're covered and clean and his. If you've called out on Jesus, there is no judgment, no condemnation. The charges have been dropped. The record's been expunged. The memory's been wiped. All that's left is the praise. You try to make a speech, he's going to cut you off. No ifs, ands, or buts. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the way that you showed up for Peter. And even though I want to know what happened, I'm thankful that it's none of my business because I believe you want to have one with me. And it's apparently nobody else's business but yours and mine. Would you give us the courage to come and find you this week, to seek you out, and to know that all, all you want to do is maybe talk about anything else besides all the stuff we carry around? Maybe the friendship you want with us is, yes, I've taken care of all of that. Can we please talk about anything else? I love you, Lord. I thank you for what you've done for us. Let's hang out this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.